We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Untuck It. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today's going to be a bit of a continuation of the last pod, where we discussed some of the things that Vogel's done well, and then we finished on some adjustments we'd like to see with Anthony Davis. He made some comments earlier in the week regarding how he needs to get Davis, you know, some better shots on the move, have him create for himself less. And lo and behold, in this last game against Oklahoma City, we saw a bit of that. So we're going to talk about that in the first segment. And then we're going to continue that discussion uh, in the second segment, where we talk about some other adjustments that they can make to improve an offense that is getting better, but still has some work to do. So it's funny, Darius, last night I was watching that game and I was like, man, uh, did he did he listen to the pod or something? I saw, you know, more LeBron AD pick and rolls. There was a Spain pick and roll worked in there. Rondo made the wrong read, but they still scored off of it. Just a, a lot of, uh, you know, getting AD the ball on the move. What did you see in that respect, you know, with the context of Vogel's comments about getting better looks for AD? Yeah, I thought that one of the specific things that Vogel had said, right, was let's get AD the ball like more on the move and mm-hmm. and have him have to create his shot less overall. And I thought going to the pick and roll early and often with LeBron was just at the nexus of all of that, right? Like mm-hmm. um, we had sort of lamented at the end of the pod about how many pick-and-roll finisher plays had Anthony Davis had lately, and we were both sort of 
scratching our head, right? Like even to think of of really one or two plays where that was the case. And very early in the game, they went right to it, right? LeBron threw that little skip pocket bounce pass to AD. It was a really low and sort of hard pass. AD fumbled it, but then he ended up scooping the ball up and, and getting an easy basket. And it was right then and there that you sort of got the sense oh, this is going to be a bit of a different game. Exactly. Yeah, and it was uh, that pass, you know, was a little bit of a beat late. LeBron's one of the best pocket passers ever, but he, you know, like you said, it was low, a little hard. It speaks to AD's hands and his, he's just so coordinated at his size to be able to to dig that out and score off of that, I think, with his left hand. Uh OKC played a different pick and roll coverage than most teams do against the Lakers in that they were in a lot of drops and they'll hedge high. They'll, you know, they'll shock the ball or hard hedge with Steven Adams a bit. Um, We saw more of the Rondo AD pick and roll, which I liked, Uh, you know, for all of the belly aching that we we do about Rondo, most of which is is warranted. uh, That is something that's an established chemistry. And we saw more of that. The thing I, I, I keep going back to this, though, is that. When they switch, the Lakers, like AD isn't forceful enough on those smaller matchups. Like there was a possession where he scored on Chris Paul after a switch with the jump shot. But there was another one on Dennis Schroeder where he missed a mid-range jumper. And I think defenses are going to take that. Is there something that AD can be doing or Vogel can be doing differently to kind of exploit those when they switch that Rondo AD pick and roll, get AD, you know, deeper position or just a better scoring opportunity because he's the obvious choice between him and Rondo. I'm honestly not sure, to tell you the truth, unless AD is going to have some massive adjustment in his mindset. And I don't think that's coming at this stage of his career. No, neither do like, I. This is how he is. Yeah. Some of the fan critique that I see in my like Twitter mentions, for example, um, and I'm sure that you get some of this as well, is this idea of, well, AD needs to play with more power, right? Like, why isn't he just mm-hmm. backing these guys down? And I feel like these guys probably haven't seen Anthony Davis play a lot. He is a jump-shooting big man. I haven't looked through his shot chart finishing plays, right, that you can find on the NBA stat site, but I can probably guarantee you less than 5% of his finishes each season are going to be on like a jump hook or something like that, right? Like right, like, yeah, like yeah. classic big man type stuff. I'm not exactly sure if there's things that the Lakers can do out of pick and rolls necessarily to get AD the ball in positions if they're going to switch like that. I think that there are things that they can do in different types of play sets, right? Like, I think they can set more big-to-big screens. I think they can set more guard-to-big screens off of the ball, especially with players who are shooters, like Danny Green setting more screens, even KCP setting more screens. When Quinn Cook is in the game, you just got to tell Quinn Cook, go watch Mm -hmm. Tape of Steph, get in there a little bit, get your nose a little bit dirty, throw your elbows out there, and hold a guy if you have to. Right. Like make them call it. Guards get away with so much more in the trenches than big men do. So I think Vogel can still expand some of the things that he's doing off of the ball to get A.D. the ball on the move in better scoring position, especially closer to the basket. But in just straight up pick and roll situations, if they're just going to switch, I think A.D. is going to be a guy who's like, look, I can make a 15 to 17 foot jumper at like a 40 to 45 percent clip. and 
the defense is going to say thank you. Mm-hmm. As And if AD goes 5 for 12 on those types of shots, he might feel like, oh, well, one more and I'm 50%. Two more and I'm 57%. So I think that he probably sees those as, go ahead, keep giving me those I'm Anthony effing Davis, right? Right. So, like, I mean, I'd like to flip that question back on you. Do you think that there are more effective ways to beat a switch with a pick and roll? Like, if AD is who he is. Yeah, I think that what AD can do is the same thing that he does on his rim runs early in transition, where Hmm. a lot of times he'll get picked up by a guard. He'll close out to a wing three-point shooter and just continue leaking out. And usually your protector, meaning the guy that's at the top of the key when you're on offense, that's called your protector because he's the guy who's farthest back when the ball transitions from offense to defense, right? And so a lot of times you'll get those early looks for AD on those rim runs because he's mismatched with those guys. Well, what does he do often in those situations? He'll spin off that guy that's leaning on him. Now, you can get the lob for the the dunk on that. But what that does, Shaq used to do this, too. And this is something that I I like. I I would love to see Phil Handy or some of the player development people work with AD on is that when you are smaller than somebody – in the post, you're going to put that forearm on them and you're going to kind of lean on them, right? And that's what AD spins off of in those transition rim run situations. He can do that in the half court. And yes, it could be a lob, but then you can reseal and repost yeah. like seven or eight feet from the basket. And if that means that AD gets the post catch there and is facing up still, that's one step for Anthony Davis to the rim. If you play off of him, it's a it's an easy little shot right there, right? So I think AD can do more to establish deeper position without him going out of character for who he is as this kind of overpowering type of guy that he's not really is. Yeah, I'd love to see post and repost actions more as well, right? Like one of the problems that I see with some of this too is poor spacing and poor passing angles. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times you'll see the ball not come into the post at a traditional post angle because the Lakers just ran a pick and roll. AD is sort of rolled into the open space. Right. You have described those scenarios where you set an on ball screen. There's another big that's in the dunker spot. That big man who's in the dunker spot will typically relocate to the other side of the paint in order to sort of set up those short pick and roll actions. Right. That you Mm -hmm. have described described as when they start to execute that better, the Lakers can get a lot of more two-man game action and a lot of stuff that, like, honestly, the Clippers used to run when it was Blake Griffin setting the screen, DeAndre that's in the dunker spot. And exactly. the Lakers used to run that back in 2009 as well when it was Powell and Bynum or even L.O. and Bynum or L.O. and Powell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The Lakers can start to do more of that as well. But to get back to the point I was making, when AD rolls and he's going sort of away from the ball screen, maybe LeBron is coming off a screen to his right hand. AD starts to roll down the left side of the lane line, right, to create a lob opportunity. And then when the switch is there, he is sort of at that cross angle. And then when LeBron sees that, he's very eager to get AD the ball, but he's throwing it sort of like this cross court parabola. So the angle's bad, and then there's no sort of immediate kickout pass for there to be made in order to establish a repost. 
post, right? And, and so there mm-hmm. are things that I think LeBron can do as well. Like, hey, instead of just making that post entry, why don't I take a dribble or two dribbles back towards Anthony Davis's side, create even a slightly better angle, and then relocate to sort of make myself available for a kickout and then a repost, right? Especially against a smaller player where if that guy is leaning on him, then he can he can roll out of that at that point, or he can shoulder in to that guy and try to get another foot and a half, two feet of mm-hmm. space to, to get in. Because like you said, and this is true for every post player in the league, a 15-foot post-up is worse than a 12-foot post-up, which is worse than a 10-foot post-up. And then if you can get to the point where mm-hmm. Anthony Davis even has one foot in the paint, regardless of where he is on the floor in terms of how high up the lane line he is, one foot in the paint means he is literally a ball fake and one step in and he's at the basket. I'm in 100% agreement with you about that type of stuff. To circle back, though, to the beginning, and I want to ask you if this was something that you noticed, I also thought the Lakers were really, really aggressive in transition, not only off of turnovers, but off of rebounds and and off of inbounds. And AD was really racing the floor in those situations to sort of get up court and be like a throw-ahead option to sort of create before the defense was set. And, And I thought that was a key adjustment that they did as well. I think that's been Rondo's biggest value to this team so far is that he can get the team kind of out and running in a way, especially in those pairings with Caruso, whose natural inclination is to run as well, and just get some more possessions where they're not facing a set defense every single time. I would argue those are also less taxing possessions, even though you're running, yes, and we've got some older players on the team. That's less taxing than banging on guys, right? And, you know, with the the post stuff that, that we were talking about a moment ago, it seems like Vogel's strategy is to clear out a side for either Anthony Davis or LeBron when they're in the post. I think that's good strategy when it's LeBron. I don't think that's the case when it's AD. I, like you were describing, improving that passing angle, but also having kickout options where you can repost. I, I do think that that would be a nice adjustment. And then yes. back to the, the the pick and roll stuff, AD was picking and popping more in this last game. And some of it I liked and some of it I did not. He needs to be popping to the three-point line. Far too often, in my opinion, he's popping into that 18 to 20-foot range, which I know he's comfortable from, but he's not good enough at those shots for it to be a better shot than the 30 to 33% shot from three that gets you the extra point versus the 40% yeah. shot from mid-range that you know gets you 0.8 points rather than 1.1 points, right? And so I, I would love to see AD making that adjustment out of those situations as well. Well, I think, look, To me, it's make a choice, right? So go into short roll area, which I think is 12 to 15 feet, or pop all the way to the three-point line the way that you're saying. I would definitely prefer more popping to the three-point line because I agree with you. I I think that helps with spacing. I think he's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with his jumper, right? He hit two threes or three threes in the last game. So if he starts to be able to, I don't expect him to shoot, you know, three for four or three for five from beyond the arc each game. But if AD can start to, say, be a one to one and a half 
made three-point shot guy a game, I think that's going to open up his ability to, to like show and go, beat closeouts, just be more respected on that end. And anyway, big guys are often so awkward closing out against a fellow big man. And Yes. Right? And, and so a lot of guys will show that jumper, and even if you're not a very good three-point shooter, you still get the big man like off balance and, and awkward. Right, like Joel Embiid is is like the guy that comes to mind. He has like the slowest, worst pump fake, and he gets guys with it all the time. Right, that's exactly right. Right, and so I'd love to see him do more of that. That's why I I certainly agree with you with popping all the way to the three point line. But one of the things that I saw too is when he had a couple of possessions where he popped to right around the nail. He hit a free throw line jumper there one time. When you get into right in the middle of the defense, and we talk about this a lot within the context of of when the Lakers are facing a zone, but this is true in man-to-man situations as well. Guys are, are keyed in on where Davis is on the floor, and the closer he is to the basket area, and I think the nail is is right is right on the edge of where defenses are like, oh damn, Anthony Davis is really a step away from the basket. Yeah, yeah. Then those weak side guards start to cheat. Those weak side wings, they start to cheat, and that opens up the pass to the corner for a three-point shot, right? And, and so I think that there are opportunities there for Davis to become more of a playmaker as well, and I don't want to eliminate mm-hmm. that part of where he can really help the Lakers' offense by just continuing to pop to the three-point line where really the only option is, is shoot the three, show and go, or swing the ball on. Now, there are things that you can do after swinging the ball on that I think the Lakers need to explore more as well, right? Like kick to the wing, secondary pick and roll. Like if the corner is clean, if it's empty there, then you get into a quick side pick and roll action where now Davis is rolling down coming baseline and a guard hopefully is going right into his strong hand. That can be someone who is as limited off of the dribble as even KCP, right? That's right. That And if he's the guard that's up high there that is presenting himself, you open up things there. There are levels to which Frank Vogel can still sort of expand in action options. That's right. Right? That that they have not yet explored. And this is why I'm like, okay, there is a ways to go still offensively. And if they start to unlock some of these things, they can be really dangerous. Yeah, man, they're 12 and two and they still got those, those levels to explore. And we're gonna do that uh, ourselves after this break. We're gonna get into more of kind of what the next steps are in the offense outside of just AD. So we'll be right back in a moment to talk about that. The holidays are almost here and you know what that means, gifts. And what better gift than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untuck It shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untuck It shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter your size, so you look casual and sharp. With more than 50 plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com. 
and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So I've been thinking a bit about how to get the guards some cleaner, better looks. I think Danny Green is a little bit underutilized, but he is not a come off a stagger and knock down a three. Like he's he's okay, probably a little below average, but the type of three-point shooter that he is, we've said several times, is a feet set type of guy or pulling up in transition type of guy. I would like to kind of play off of what we've been talking about with AD, with, you know, screening for him, having him setting pin downs. I think the Lakers need to set more back screens because they've got these lob threats, AD being the the first one, but also JaVale McGee being lethal in that, and even Dwight Howard. And that's, there are several guys, you know, there's usually two guys on the court at any given time where you have to worry about that. And I think that that sort of rim gravity, hell, you could even put LeBron in that, I was going to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, use that like rim gravity. Like there was a play against Atlanta. Mind you, Atlanta is a bad defense, but Danny Green set a back screen and it was AD rolling and AD rolled hard. And this was off of the ball. Uh, set a back screen for AD and both Hawks, like their first step was toward AD because you don't want to give up that lob and get dunked on. Well, after Danny Green, who's a good screen setter, sets that back screen, he can pop out, and he did, to the three-point line, had a clean wing three look with his feet set and, and knocked it down. So what are some of the things that the Lakers can do to kind of play off of that AD gravity and, and the types of things that we're talking about of getting AD open to make things easier on those guys who are more dependent on others? Before I answer that, I just want to say that that's a great point about back screens. And I bring it back to the Warriors, right? The Warriors use mm-hmm. a ton yeah. of back screens from their guards, but they leverage it in the opposite direction. They leverage it towards their shooters. And so mm-hmm. Clay and Steph will, will set back picks for guys, and both defenders are now going towards Steph. Uh-huh. And you would see, mm-hmm. you know, Draymond pick out back cuts to like, Andre Iguodala or Kevon mm-hmm. Looney or whoever other big man is on the floor and those guys would get layups and you're like, what the hell happened? And what mm-hmm. you realize is miscommunication, false steps towards the three-point line to cover the shooter or the primary threat and then the other guy is wide open. So, so I just wanted to say that this is action that works all over the league using the threat that your offense poses as like yes. sort of like a decoy. Right. It's absolutely in that. order to it's set up that. like the other player on your team who typically cannot create a shot for himself. So I think that that's a great idea. Another thing I'd like to see is setting more off ball screens in order to get AD the position or the ball in positions where, where he is just working 15 feet and in, in versus like 18 to 20 feet and in, I think can can make a huge difference in effectiveness for him. AD, as much as he's improved as a ball handler and he's improved a ton, as much as he's improved as an individual shot creator and he's improved a ton, he is still most effective as one dribble, get to where I'm going, and elevate for a shot. And he's got such great touch on his jumper that can be like a leaner, a fading shot, those off-balance shots that we associate with Kuz. Mm -hmm. AD can hit some of those as well. They don't always look awkward as Kuzma's off-leg runners or wrong-footed shots that he takes, but, but AD can hit those types of leaning, fading shots as well. In, in order to optimize that, and I honestly think this will make his, his pass-out reads easier 
two is shrink the floor for him, get him in better positions where turn and face, one dribble, oh, defender's mm-hmm. there, kick out. No help, I'm elevating. And make those pass shot decisions easier for him because one of the things that I've been noticing is, well, damn, they're loading up on him and he's forcing passes and turning the ball over more than what you would like. And I think what is typical for him based off where some of his catches are coming from. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. Now, in the same spirit of getting guys open who maybe not are able to do it for themselves, Lakers are down Avery Bradley. Uh, Troy Daniels is out of the rotation. Quinn Cook has been kind of rough. So that leaves us with Caruso and Rajon Rondo. Yeah. What have you seen? Rondo played 27 minutes last night, had 10 assists, went three for 10 from the field, tied for the the team lead in plus minus with a plus six. He's been back for a few games now. What has his integration actually meant in reality as opposed to what we kind of theorized it would be coming into this season? Well, I wrote this in um, my recap of the game for Foreign Blue and Gold. I think game after game, Rondo sort of continues to give both his supporters and his detractors a fair amount Uh of evidence, right? And you can see what you want with Rondo, right? And so the three for 10 shooting, the compromised floor spacing, the sort of like overhandling of the ball, assist hunting, all of that was there. Mm-hmm. It's right? all true. All, it's all true. All of that stuff was there. You know what else was there was quality organization of the offense when he was running the show. Rested possessions for LeBron when he shared the floor with LeBron, where LeBron did not have to bring the ball up. A commitment to transition that I thought was super important in terms of setting the tone for the game and giving the Lakers that early lead that the Thunder kept chipping into but were never really able to overcome. There were a lot of positives that came from Rondo's minutes as well. And I think this was the point that you and I had emphasized right beforehand, find the right-sized role and let him go. My flip question for you is do you think performances like last night's and with Frank Vogel's comments coming out of that, do you think that we're sort of in that that danger zone? Uh, oh, the RPMs are getting a little bit high now. Vogel seems to be feeling this guy a little bit much. And do you think that we're in that danger zone of maybe his role expanding beyond where he may prove to be useful? We are. I don't know Vogel well enough at this point, 14 games in, but the hints that he's given in this respect have been encouraging beyond just Rondo in that when guys play well, he gives them minutes. When they're not playing well, he cuts them back. As simple as that sounds, that's something that's difficult to do in the moment. Like, look, man, we got Avery Bradley out. Quinn Cook is killing me right now. Troy Daniels played himself out of the rotation. These guys were supposed to be able to hit shots, those two. Like, that's why they signed for the most part, and they're not able to do that. And so, like, where do you have to turn? You've got Caruso, who's been getting consistent minutes and has done well in his role. KCP has really played well the last few games. But they are not ball handlers, right? All of those things that you said about giving LeBron rest, pushing the pace in transition, organizing offense, those things matter. Now, what the big test for me is going to be with respect to your question is when Avery Bradley comes back. Yeah. I I underrated Avery Bradley's ball handling a little bit. Like I kind of put him in that KCP type of group. And after seeing him for a bit, it's like, oh, no, no, he's not 
you know, he's not a conventional point guard, but he's not KCP. He's not Danny Green when it comes to handling the ball. He is more combo guard than mm-hmm. than like shooting guard, right? And so like, and he is definitely not point guard, mm-hmm. but you could tell based off of his size that he was probably asked to handle the ball a fair amount in his life. Right. And there's a certain comfort level that comes with that. Now, the better defenders are going to get up into him. They're going to bother him in the same way that like Avery Bradley bothers them when it's the other side of the ball. But mm-hmm. he shows a certain comfort level, especially in stringing together dribbles in, in order to get something, right? Danny Green does not string together dribbles. KCP does not string together dribbles but I, I tense up whenever either of those guys have the ball in their hands I'm like give it up give it up I'm always yelling at my TV to pass the ball to L- Anthony Davis is a better ball handler I don't want to see them receive an outlet basically ever uh-huh right when LeBron is throwing the ball ahead and you know before the camera has caught up to like uh-huh. who's receiving the pass uh-huh. yeah 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 like I'm sure that you're just like me on pins and needles like okay who is it that's going to catch this pass Right now. Right. If Danny Green's catching that, he better be pulling up for a three, like, yeah. immediately. He or, gets one dribble. Or, like, can it be Caruso? Oh, no, Caruso's in the backcourt. Damn it. Like, right. Who yeah, who's this? that going to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. So, going back to Rondo, I think you need to have, like, exact conditions for when yeah. Rondo's on the court. Like, you really have to set things up right. So, for example, Vogel's been playing that three-guard lineup the last couple of games with him And so different three guard lineups. The one that I thought was a mistake was the one with Quinn Cook, because I think if you're going to go small, I personally would like to see Jared Dudley get more minutes and have Kuz slide down to the three and then have two guards. But if you're going to go with that three guard look, the other two next to Rondo need to be adequate defenders. And as of right now, those are only two guys. That's Caruso and KCP. I guess you could throw Danny Green in there too, although he doesn't really get those minutes with the bench. So I, I, and, and I would like to see Danny Green's minutes go up a little bit. He's was, I think, played 21 or 23 minutes. He's not, he's never played more than 30 minutes per game in his career, but I do think he should be in the high 20s for this team. But hey, they're 12 and 2. What do I have to complain about? But with, when you've got Rondo on the court, there can't be another guard who can't defend either. It can't be Troy Daniels. It can't be Quinn Cook. It's got to be a Caruso, a KCP, an Avery Bradley, Danny Green, those types of guys. And then you know, on, on the offensive end, you want him, at, you know, paired with Anthony Davis as often as possible due to their chemistry. So, like, you need to have very specific conditions, and I'd like to see Vogel tighten that up more than, am I worried about Rondo playing a ton of minutes? Maybe I am, but I can't decide that until Bradley comes back because the alternatives right now are not great. Yeah, I just think that you can tell that, and I wonder what it is about Jared Dudley. I think that there's a certain amount of – I honestly think that, that he feels like, well, I sort of want more quickness on the floor maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and guys who can do a little bit more off of the dribble or on the move than Dudley does. Dudley catches the ball on the move, and, and, and he's very quick to sort of make the next pass, go set a flare screen – Right, like he is very much a ball mover instead of someone who can attack off of the dribble. Almost every time he's tried to attack a closeout, it has ended poorly. Mm-hmm. And I think the guards in general, even if you don't trust their skill level as much as like 
guards, they still mm-hmm. offer more in that scenario than Jared Dudley. They do, but when you've got Rondo on the court, he's going to dribble the air out of the ball yeah. more often than not. So let's take advantage of that. If that's going to be something that he's going to do, you don't need three ball handlers on the floor when you've got Rondo on the court. For better or for worse, this is how the offense is going to look. Rondo's going to really dictate the action. So the detriment of having a Dudley out there for those reasons that you explained, like he spaces the floor, he's able to shoot the three ball. He's not going to be asked to handle the ball as much as a Quinn Cook or an Alex Caruso would be in that same scenario. So I don't think that's as big of a problem. No, I I definitely agree with you, and and I was sort of thinking to myself for a while, and I may have even mentioned it in a couple of recaps or game previews that I've written at at, uh, Forum Blue and Gold, that I wouldn't mind seeing Dudley get minutes at the expense of, like, Troy Daniels, right? Like, Mm -hmm. in, in theory, they are very similar players. Dudley's got better feel. He is a better defensive player, but their shooting histories are pretty similar. Mm -hmm. Daniels is a much more sort of explosive shooter, but the results-based stuff is basically all of the same career, like Mm -hmm. 40% type guy will hit the open ones. And I feel like Dudley just brings more to the table in terms of intangibles than a guy like Daniels does, right? And, And so I wouldn't mind seeing Dudley find some minutes as the Lakers are trying to figure out what their guard rotation looks like like why continue to play so many guards when you can maybe play a forward and find some minutes for that guy especially if that is with lineups around Anthony Davis right who can be this ultimate protector defensively that that can cover things up a bunch like you're not putting Dudley on the floor and having him flanked by maybe KCP and Rondo right and then and then if you have LeBron out there with say a Dwight Howard now guess who has to guard the best perimeter player, right? It, right. It, it's probably LeBron. And if there's two of those guys, or if that guy is like a power wing, it's definitely LeBron. Mm-hmm. Or you're exposing yourself there defensively, and the bigs aren't going to be able to cover up all of that. I think with Davis out there, though, you you certainly can and probably do it a little bit better. I wanted to ask you, I know that we're going to wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask you, Alex Caruso, offensively, Are there things that the Lakers could be doing better for him? Or is it basically the old, it's a make or miss league and he's got to do more of the former? Yeah, he's... He's got to be a spot-up shooter. He can be one of those back screeners. He's a good screen setter. And he can cut off of that. And he's a lob threat himself. He's done better recently on his spot-ups. He had has had a couple of okay games in a row in that respect. He's a below-average offensive guard in the NBA. He's out there to provide defense and some— like, the, the value that he has on offense, aside from he needs to hit threes, that's something that's a, a necessity for him to be a plus out there. But he understands how offense works. He doesn't have a lot of individual skill in that his ball screen reads can be poor. He doesn't have— have that elbow pull up. He can be a poor finisher in traffic where, and that's, I would argue more decision-making than anything else because he's just going up on plays where, you know, that's a skip pass across the court. And I'd love to see him do more of that, make more skip passes, but it's, yeah, man, it's a make or miss league, especially, and this is a make or miss team. You've got LeBron and Anthony Davis and Rondo setting things up. I actually do like the Rondo Caruso pairing because I think that they kind of cover for each other's weaknesses. Yeah. Rondo covering for Caruso on the offensive end and vice versa on defense. But that is, you know, that's something that 
I really think it just comes down to him knocking down those threes and otherwise, and overall, I've been happy with Caruso, but yeah, there's going to be a point where there are going to be some games where his offense just isn't good enough and he can't play. What do you see? What, like, what do you think they can do to maybe free him up a bit? No, I actually don't think that there's anything more beyond what you just said. I was just interested because he did hit a couple of shots against the Thunder early, and I thought that that might be a good reason to sort of get him back on the floor a little bit later, and it didn't really happen, right? Vogel made Mm -hmm. a different decision. And I actually have a piece that's going to go up at at Silver Screen and Roll this week that sort of talks about some of the decisions that Vogel's been making with his role players and and how he's deployed them within the rotation. Like, as like a sneak preview of that, I've been impressed I think he's been pulling the right levers a lot. But I was just interested in your opinion around that. The Lakers guards are so sort of hit and miss. Their skill sets are so intertangled. If there's like a chart that you have like five primary skills that you want every guard to have, almost every single Lakers guard has like two or three of those. And with a lot of them, they're not the same two or three. And so finding the right mix of them in any given game or what you need really is sort of like a -a whack-a-mole. And it's just like, oh, yeah— Caruso's the round peg that fits in the round hole this game. And so let's go with him a little bit more. Well, it can be kind of like rock, paper, scissors, right? Where yeah. like rock beats beats scissors, but scissors beats paper and paper beat rock, right? Yeah. And so like Caruso, if you've got that Devin Booker type of guard and you need someone to kind of get in him like Sasha, you you know, used yeah. to, that, hey, he's your man for that. If you need a guy to create offense for in this particular game or situation, he's getting beat in that respect, right? So each of the Lakers guards kind of have that. Now, with Daniels and Cook, it's kind of theoretical at this point, like they are shooters, that's their reputation. They have not lived up to it, but that is kind of the challenge that Vogel will have all season long is which guard is appropriate for which situation. So anyway, um, Can it's I just, so nice. To, please do. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, I just, before we ended the pod, and I'm sure we're getting there soon, I, uh-huh. I just wanted to throw out one stat because I think it's nice to see So the Lakers are about 34% on threes for the season. Last five games, Mm. though, that number's been almost 40%, 39.6 or 39.9. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that, that for all the hand-wringing that we've had about the Lakers shooters, and there's been some of that even this pod, right, that things have been trending up. Very recently, small sample, but I'm interested to see if that continues to go. But but I've been very happy with the fact that, hey, these guys are knocking them down now, and it's been making a difference. Bro, let me be very clear about this. Lakers are 12-2, and two, and they're getting better on offense. I am geeking out on the idea of not the conversations we've had for the last couple of years about how did the Lakers get to this like NBA average type of offense. What we're talking about is like going from above average to great or above average to good or from good to great, however you want to characterize it. These are now like the finer points of offense where how can they get from where they are now to a title team. When we had Aaron on a couple of pods ago, we asked like what were the short-term goals of this squad? And he said like finding an offensive identity. They're in the process of doing that and they've made really nice steps in this last game against a pretty good defensive team in OKC with, you know, what they did with ball screens with AD, getting him on flex, flex cuts and just on the move. So it's just all of these little layers, like you said, going into the, the, the break, like these layers will start stacking on top of each other. And that's when you get to the point where if you combine it with this defense, which 
continues to look for real, that's how they get to an NBA title. And I'm just loving having these discussions about the the little things that are the finer points based off of a competent offense. So anyway, this was a ton of fun. If you haven't checked out the last pod, give it a listen because this one kind of pairs with that. But with that, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?